0: Welcome to New Books in the American West, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm today's host, Stephen Hausman, an assistant professor of history at the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Walter Nugent, professor emeritus of history at Notre Dame University. Dr. Nugent has been the author of many books and articles during his distinguished career and is a past president of the Western History Association. We're going to be discussing his latest book, Color Coded. Party Politics in the American West, 1950-2016, to which came out with the University of Oklahoma Press in 2018. Welcome to the New Books Network, Walter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Why don't we begin just by hearing a bit about you. What sparked your interest in history, and how did you get involved in history as a profession?
1: Uh, Very good questions. Uh, I have... I think always been interested in history, change over time, uh, data trivia maybe. Uh, I started reading uh, pretty early. My mother was a, a grade school teacher, and uh, in those days, back in the thirties, when either she got married or pregnant, I forget what the what the law said. Uh, they wouldn't let her teach regularly anymore, so she. Focused her rather intense pedagogical talents on me, and uh, that got me reading early. Uh, I don't remember the first book I read, a kids' book of some sort, but I do remember that probably was about four, maybe. Uh, I, I dipped into the World Almanac of all things, and uh, just have been interested in miscellaneous kinds of stuff, in, in, including politics. Of uh, and later on. Uh, uh became a history major in college and went on to grad school uh, to do a master's in history and then a Ph.D. And, and uh, I, I didn't really think I was going to become a professional historian. That seemed to be a little too elevated an aim uh, for me. But uh, and I thought I'd go into either use history as a uh, uh, preparation for either law or journalism. I like to write as well as gather all sorts of facts. So uh, about the second year in grad school, it dawned on me that I could actually do it, uh, go on and get a PhD and uh, become an academic historian. So that's a long answer, I guess, to, to your question.
0: And how did you zero in on the history of the American West in particular?
1: That is sort of accidental. My my uh, my dissertation, which became my first book, could be construed as a, a Western topic. It was on the People's Party in Kansas in the 1890s. Uh, Kansas is not as far west as, as California or even Colorado, but it's still west. And uh, I've always had some interest in the settlement process. Uh, the economics of uh, that region, the Great Plains. And um, uh, when I was at Indiana University, which I was for over 20 years from the early 60s to the mid 80s, uh, uh, we had a, a sequence at the uh, junior senior level on Western history. And it was, it was taught uh, by Martin Ridge, who was a very close friend of mine, now, now deceased, unfortunately. Uh, uh, and uh, Martin got a wonderful offer to become director of research at the Huntington Library in San Marino, California. And he said, why don't you take over this uh, this course in Western history? We have plenty of students interested in it. It's got good enrollment. And the subject matter is, is diverse and fascinating so I did. And that was about 1980. And um, I just have stuck with it ever since. I've done other things besides Western history, but that's been my focus pretty much in the last, I don't know, uh, 20 years or so, 25 years, maybe.
0: It's the kind of place and the kind of topic that just seems to pull people back in. It's hard to escape from.
1: That's true. That's true. It, 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 well, it goes all over the place, and maybe I have too, but uh, it's been uh, very enjoyable.
0: And what brought you to write this book in, uh, in, in particular? Why a book specifically about the politics? Uh, excuse me, the politics of the West in the 20th and early 21st centuries.
1: Uh, I had gotten, I had done other things on the West and sort of a, yeah. the big picture West. Uh, I did a book in the mid-90s called Into the West, which was on the settlement of the West uh, from all sorts of directions, not just from the East, but also from Asia, from Canada, from Mexico, from a lot of other places. Uh, so I thought I had covered that pretty well. And then in the mid, uh, well, first decade of the, 20, of the this 21st century, uh, I had discovered in teaching my courses in Western history that uh, uh, there wasn't a single uh, one, just one book that covered the whole of the territorial acquisitions of the United States. Uh, So I did that uh, in a a book called Habits of Empire, the thesis of which was, we've been in an imperialistic uh, country really ever since the American Revolution, if not before that. So that left politics, and there has been a, to me, a rather regrettable trend in the American historical profession in recent years to move away from politics and economics, uh, which were these staples uh, when I was back in grad school and in my early career. So, uh, uh, and I, I didn't see anything much on Western politics, uh, the politics of the Western region. Uh, especially in the post World War II period, which is now two thirds of a century, so I uh, decided my my next book was this was about 2010 that my next book was going to be on Western politics uh, and to try to cover the thing and see if there are any patterns. Another another thing that uh, led me this way was uh, uh, like any readers of the Daily Press or um, punditry and wherever it comes from, um, I had been a little bit upset sometimes by uh, writers overgeneralizing and saying, well, the West is conservative, maybe not California, but everything else is is very conservative. began well predicting elections uh, according to that and i i didn't think it was that simple uh that the west is a lot more complex surely there are parts of it they're conservative uh, have been for a long time the uh stayers of the states that I, I i covered for example um but not all of it is and uh, i thought well there's there's room for a book that uh writes about Western politics and tries to do justice to the nuances, the subtleties, the differences. And that's that's what I hope color coded is about.
0: Yeah, I found that to be really one of the strengths of the book was that you really embrace the complexity of this region. And um, even though, and we can talk more about the methodology and the grouping of the states in a bit, but even though you do group some states together, even within those groupings, you talk about, you know, it's more complex than just saying that the Great Plains states were always Republican, for instance, that there are there are nuances there that you really do explore.
1: Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: you know, the Great Plains
1: are... Uh, Yeah, they've sort of been generally conservative, but uh, they still produced a George McGovern, for example, Democratic candidate in 1972 for president uh, and others. Um, Well, I I won't uh, dilate on that yet anyway, but go ahead.
0: Um, I have one more uh, kind of quick question before we really get into the book. Before we really dive in, and that is, I mean, you you certainly know that the question of where is the West is a near constant theme in the historiography of this region. So I'm curious how you ended up defining the West as you do in this book.
1: Okay, glad you asked that. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, back in the late this this old uh, scene not particularly relevant, but I think it is. Back in the late 80s, there developed a a school of thought uh, called the New Western History. And uh, it captivated a number of people in the profession and and well beyond uh, books led, uh, books by uh, uh, Patricia Limerick of the University of Colorado, for example, and and several other people. and I began to wonder, not too long after these came out and were much talked about, uh, what do people think the West really is? What do historians think it is? What does it include? What does it encompass? What do, what do writers think about it? So I devised a survey uh, with the question, where is the West? And uh, sent this out to about 300 people historians, uh, writers, and the Western Writers of America Association to a few, a few editors of newspapers and got back a pretty good response uh, and published, uh, collated all this and published it as an article which appeared in Montana Magazine of Western History in 1992. And uh, uh, to, to a lot of people, the West is a state of mind. To writers, especially, it, it isn't some place out there except what people think it is. Well, I couldn't deal with that very effectively, but uh, uh, the the majority of respondents uh, had geography in mind, uh, some very very particular, um, and uh, they included the Great Plains, certainly. As well as what the U.S. Census Bureau calls the Western Region, which is the uh, includes the 13 states from roughly the 100th 105th meridian on out. Excuse me. So I, I, I use that as a starting point. I, I, in other words, to legitimate the inclusion in color coded of 19 states, not only the Western Region by census definition, but also the great Plains states. And that uh, there are six of them from North Dakota on down through Texas. And uh, that's that's the rationale, really. I thought all of that is the West. Some is more, quote, Western, unquote, than others, uh, some states. uh, But I thought I ought to include all of them. So that's the rationale. Right or wrong, I stand by it.
0: And you organized the book in a way that I found pretty interesting as well. Uh, it's not organized chronologically, but rather state by state, or in some cases by groupings of states. And it's a fairly unique method of organizing, um, organizing the chapters. Can you tell us a little bit about the book's organization and why you chose to use this method in particular? And I did find it to be a pretty effective method as well.
1: Well, thank you. Um, uh, I had to organize it in some fashion, and just to start chronologically in 1950 and spend page after page on each of these states, it seemed to me to make a a pretty disastrous book uh, from the reader's standpoint. Uh, It it just didn't seem the way to go. What I was doing in order to uh, um, uh, get a feel for the politics of the West over that long period was to use uh, some data that are pretty much uh, irrefutable. And that is the election returns uh, uh, in these 19 states for the major federal offices, president, governor, well not governor, state governor, but also US senator and US House of Representatives. This got me data on about 5,300 elections the majority of them for the US House but also the other three offices and uh, having gathered that all all that information uh, I began to, I said I said to myself what's the pattern here are the patterns here state by state or subregion by subregion how is how does it all sort out and the patterns began to look pretty clear that there were some states that, uh, stayed pretty much the same in their political orientation, either Republican or Democratic. Uh, there were others that uh, shifted, uh, starting in with one party and over time moving to the other major party. And there were some states that
2: uh,
1: uh, were really purple. Uh, they were not definitely either Democratic or Republican uh, over time. So that's, that's the basis for the organization. Um, uh, and, and that gave me uh, states that were uh, that stayed the same, some that shifted, and some that uh, were kind of on the fence. So that's the rationale for the organization.
0: Well, let's talk about some of those switchers first. Which states have shifted uh, further to the right to become more red over the last 70 years or so? And what explains these shifts? Are there any real commonalities between them?
1: Okay. Uh, there are two cases of uh, blue to red shifts, and it's from solidly Democratic to today solidly Republican. And there are two cases of states that went the other way that started out pretty solidly Republican and now are pretty solidly Democratic. The the, sh- the shifters are interesting. Uh, in each of those two sets, uh, 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 there is one of the giants. There, there there are two huge states in the West from an electoral standpoint, and one is California and the other is Texas. Uh, they have, more congressional districts, they have a lar- and of course, a larger population, uh, which creates more uh, congressional districts than uh, any others. The, the closest, I think, offhand to them would be Washington with 10 representatives now, but uh, that, of course, is pretty small compared to California's 53. Um, so, uh, uh, Remind me again, what am I supposed to, what's the question? I've oh, that, that, that's
0: okay. Um, I'm just asking about the states that have shifted more toward the oh, Republican yeah. Party over okay. the last century, and if there's anything kind of common between them, and what explains these shifts?
1: Okay. Uh, the uh, blue to red uh, include Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma being, of course, much the smaller, but they're, it's similar to Texas in a number of ways. Uh, the I I should say this the, this the shifts of this sort do not happen suddenly they they take place over time they're they're gradual uh kinds of kinds of movements within these states uh in the cases of oklahoma and texas uh, the economics and the resultant changes in demography population patterns of those states had a lot to do with it the um in both cases uh, there was a, a movement uh, away from the extractive industry and extractive occupations, farming uh, minerals including oil uh, and to uh, a, a service the service sector um, manufacturing and so on uh, this Oh, and and consequently, a movement from rural to urban. Uh, uh, Agriculture is still very important, not only in Oklahoma Texas, but elsewhere in the Great Plains and elsewhere in the country. But the uh, number of farms has diminished greatly in the last 60, 70 years. Uh, The uh, production on each farm and the size of each farm has increased so we've, we've we've got for a lot of the Great Plains states, including Oklahoma and the Great Plains part of Texas, uh, uh, maybe half as many farms with uh, twice twice the the output. Um, that's one change. Another uh, one factor in cha- in the uh, political change. Another is leadership, and this should not be overlooked. In the case of Oklahoma right around 1960, uh, uh, in a state that had really no functioning Republican party uh, ever before that, since statehood in 1889, uh, there emerged a uh, uh, a leader in the Republican party uh, who really built it from the ground up, he was financed by Uh, and an oil man uh, in Tulsa, but uh, Henry Bellman, this man in question, uh, really built the Republican Party in Texas and it stuck. Uh, He himself was elected governor in 1962 uh, and uh, uh, was responsible for the initial parts of this change. A little later on, it solidified the the change from Republican to Democratic. Uh, Bellman had a lot to do with uh, 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 replacing county chairmen who were doing essentially nothing, uh, except uh, keeping a title of Republican county chairman, replacing them with uh, younger people. The the average age went down by about half uh, in the few years that he was involved. Um, and this led to uh, election, gradual, uh, gradual election uh, successes for the Oklahoma Republicans in, until uh, they were about even with the Democrats by the late 80s. Then there's one more factor that came in that was important in Oklahoma and in Texas, and that is the religious right. Uh, the the build up of, uh, of the Christian coalition, religious right, other such organizations in the 80s had fruition in politics uh, a little bit after that. And in Oklahoma, the, the crucial time was the election of 1994. There was a decisive shift away from the Democrats to the Republicans in Oklahoma at that time, and, and uh, uh, it, the Republicans have managed to keep their
2: uh, hegemony
1: uh, to the present day. In Texas, it, because it's a much bigger state, um, similar kinds of uh, things on a much larger scale. Um, the uh, leadership, uh, the demographic and economic shifts, and uh, down the line, the, the, the role of right-wing of, uh, uh, Right-wing religion um and not only protestant not only the baptists but conservative catholics were in on this are part of it uh i would say those were the main factors uh in in the uh, democratic to republican shift it's also a little bit of an oversimplification to say it was a uh a liberal to conservative shift i think that would be not accurate at all uh the uh Democrats in in Oklahoma or Texas who were predominant as of say 1950 1960 were not always liberal. They certainly were not on on race race issues, uh, although some were. Lyndon Johnson was, uh, but uh, but not all by any means. Uh, and well, uh, some of the cultural characteristics of, of Oklahoma and Texas. Democrats as of the 1950s were still visible. Uh, were still visible in uh, Oklahoma, Texas. Republicans as of the 1990s or a little bit beyond. So it's complicated. I, I, I have one sentence in the book someplace: the, the uh, uh, changes were not seismic; they were gradual, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly true there. But, uh, similarly, in in the uh, um, the uh, uh, Shift in, in California and the other states that shifted from Republican to Democratic, namely Oregon. Uh, there were a number of factors. Uh, again, uh, without getting into overly into detail, uh, uh, economic and demographic, the population change in California, which never stopped until very very recently, it's it's let up some. Uh, in uh, Oregon, the shift in population away from rural areas, away from lumbering, which was extremely important uh, in the 50s, 60s, even into the 70s, and toward the Portland area and other uh, urban complexes in Oregon, which tended uh, uh, shift to shift democratic. There was also in Oregon um, and in California. Uh, a movement that uh, began not long after World War or during World War II, really, of uh, African Americans from the South moving to the West Coast. We think maybe, maybe of uh, the great migration of African Americans uh, as having gone to New York, especially Harlem, to Chicago, to Detroit, but a lot of it also went West. Uh, to the L.A. area, to the Portland area, uh, and this made a difference in politics. Uh, I'll leave it off right at that point. That's, I'm talking too long, maybe, but on that. But
0: uh, <coughs> go ahead. Um, not talking too long at all. That was fascinating. Uh, so those are those are the switchers. Those are the states that have that have shifted across time. But there's also Um, there's also 10 states in the West that you describe as stayers. And again, understanding that there are, of course, nuances and complications within that title. But 10 states that have remained consistently either Republican or Democratic since 1950. Um, We don't have time to talk about all 10, but can you maybe talk about some of the things that might explain their consistency on both sides of the political divide?
1: Um, Okay, Uh, yeah, I'd like to, without... Uh, overgeneralizing that's the danger in this mm-hmm. especially <laughs> talking about ten states they each each one of them different. Mm-hmm. Uh but there are some similarities and to take the ones that have stayed Republican I think they're um, I don't know easier to deal with maybe not. Uh the Great Plains states, um, uh north of Oklahoma which became Republican, uh has become Republican, I guess I should say. Uh, The states north of that, Kansas, Nebraska, the two Dakotas, uh, to the west, Wyoming, uh, Utah, uh, Idaho, uh, and in addition to that, Alaska, leave that out. Um, These have been uh, Republican uh, pretty much throughout the whole period. And certainly in terms of presidential, senatorial, congressional politics, there, in each of them, I should point out, there, there have been pockets, let's say, uh, or areas of of political orientation different from the state at large. In Kansas, for example, Wyandotte County, which is uh, Kansas City, Kansas, uh, the, the Douglas County, which is the University of Kansas, uh, Pretty much tended have tended them democratic all the way along, but uh, uh, oh, I, and I should mention one other one because it's it, it I think is is interesting in explaining this these changes. Uh, I'm, we're talking about states that stayed okay. Uh, within Kansas, there is a county that didn't stay uh, that changed. Uh, Ellis County, which is in west central Kansas, uh, was the premier Democratic county in Kansas from practically, well, from the 1870s uh, down through the 1950s and maybe a little bit beyond. And now it's just as Republican as its neighbors. Why is that? Uh, the answer is, uh, I think, that. Uh, in its democratic decades, uh, it was dominated ethnically by German immigrants, so-called Volga Germans,
2: who uh,
1: were German-speaking, but came from uh, well, of German-speaking, and in, in religion they were Catholic, and they were Democrats through and through. I went to college with some of them, in fact, and. Uh, uh, No doubt about that. But today, I checked this, uh, Ellis County uh, is is both as Republican as its neighbors. And I think it is simply because the uh, not only immigrant generation, but the children and grandchildren of the German immigrants uh, are long gone. And we're now into the fourth, fifth generation, probably sixth. And they tend to behave like people next door in Russell County, almost Republican County, full of Germans, but uh, German Lutherans. Uh, so that's one that's one factor. And, and I didn't measure this in all places where there were immigrants because they had kind of faded out by uh, after the 1950s. Uh, Bohemians in Nebraska, for example, and there are a number of other pockets of European immigrants like that. Um, But in general, the the Great Plains states have stayed Republican. I think if you need one explanation for it, it is the uh, uh, decline of rural areas or depopulation of rural areas. Again this thing I mentioned a minute ago about uh, uh, small farms disappearing. Uh, There are still plenty of farms, but they tend to be agribusinesses. Uh, they're large, much larger farm units than was the case, say, in 1960. Uh, it takes
2: uh,
1: far because of mechanization far fewer people to operate them and make make them uh, productive. Um, so the population has decreased in those in those areas and tended to increase in urban areas in those states. There's one example I pulled out uh, back to Oklahoma for one second. Uh, there's a city in northern north central oklahoma called enid and uh in a period of 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 a, of a few decades the rural population of the county of which enid is the seat uh was cut uh, uh, declined by half whereas enid itself expanded by about half And uh, had I taken the time to do it, uh, I'm sure I could have found similar examples in Kansas and Nebraska and up in the Dakotas and so on. Uh, There are some uh, exceptions that I should point out in this, in covering the stairs. One is Utah. Uh, People there will regard it, will call it the Mormon culture area. Uh, the influence of the Mormon Church in politics is is still very strong, and uh, uh, the uh, the birth rate of of Mormons in Utah, and the birth rate of the state of Utah, is, has has been considerably higher than uh, most others nearby. Anyway, um, so that's an exception. The conservatism of, of Utah is explained in part by it's loyalty to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, again, it's 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 not right to overgeneralize. Each state has some factor or set of factors which uh, really best explain uh, the persistence, the staying, uh, in in political terms. Um, Again, I could uh, expand, but you you go ahead. Test what you need.
0: Well, why don't we maybe expand on just one example that can maybe be illustrative of what uh, what the book does? Maybe can you explain why Washington State, for instance, has remained consistently Democratic uh, since the middle of the twentieth century? Okay. Okay, um, I
1: should point out first of all, it is not the deepest blue state there is. Uh, it has been pretty consistently blue since the 1940s uh, and had been somewhat red before that, but uh, still bluish. The uh, leadership, I guess I go to that pretty much first, Uh, in both the Democratic and Republican parties in Washington uh, has been toward the liberal side in both parties uh there is a man he's still alive. he's in his nineties now, Dan Evans, a republican governor back around nineteen seventy who uh was regarded as uh more liberal on uh, the whole set of issues at the time than uh than the democratic leadership um so leadership should always be included there the uh, uh,
2: uh, uh
1: another thing fact in my mind here I've got to point out uh, Washington is pretty liberal in its in the area around Seattle and uh, farther and farther north east, west of the Cascades uh, east of the Cascades it has been consistently conservative and elected conservative uh, members of Congress um, um, you may remember uh, Tom Foley, who was Speaker of the House back in in the uh, 80s and 90s. He, he, he uh, was successfully elected to the Spokane area uh, for, gosh, 30 years. I'm, I'm thinking offhand. Uh, but when he was defeated in 1994, uh, uh, that was the end of, of Democratic leadership really west of, or east of the cascades uh it would it, it's too simple to say so but um, that, uh, it almost works out that if an area is dry and uh, it doesn't get much rainfall and tends to be uh in general kind of flat then it, it, it m- might be Republican. That's hmm. true of, of Washington, east of the Cascades. It's true of Oregon, east of the Cascades. It's true of Idaho, although Idaho is pretty hilly in a lot of places. Uh, it's true of Kansas, Nebraska, obviously, and uh, much of the Dakotas, eastern Montana and Wyoming. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't adduce that as a cause of political orientation. It, uh, this is kind of a weird thing that <laughs> pops up. Um, uh in, in back to washington um yeah the the uh, arrival of um uh, uh, uh technology uh microsoft preeminently uh of uh, of other uh major corporations amazon Boeing which started in
2: nineteen sixteen but is is
1: uh, became huge in World War II and has remained so. Um, these have, uh, the, the, these aren't steel mills. These are, uh, uh, technically, uh, maybe not Amazon, but uh, all of it, but uh, they, they've been a modern contemporary kind of economic activity, corporate activity, which um, somehow tends to, uh, Consonant with the uh, liberal orientation in politics. Um, offhand, I don't know. Um, I'll probably think of other things. But uh, uh, again, the, 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 you can't overgeneralize. The uh, uh, democratic orientation of Washington has been consistent and pretty strong, but not complete, uh, which is also true in Oregon and California.
0: And you said earlier in uh, in regards to Washington State that it's it's been pretty deeply blue, but has maybe some purple tendencies. And there are five states in the West that are, I guess you could say, varying shades of purple. And these are Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, Montana, and New Mexico. Um, and you know, at the at the risk one more time of overgeneralizing, maybe you could talk a bit about one of those states and uh, and explain why it has been purple for so long, and maybe uh you you could choose one yourself i lived in colorado for a time so i'm very partial to that state but if there's one that you find is most uh elucidatory or or interesting maybe you could just talk a bit about that
1: yeah colorado is 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 interesting indeed um it has been reddish more than it is now it is uh, more purple now maybe even bluish purple than it has been in a while i think it's it's trending in a bluish direction but it's not there yet uh the uh current campaign for the u.s senatorship is is an interesting one and um, the republican seems to be in a little bit of trouble uh it it elected the democratic governor uh, polis this last time uh after a few terms as a u.s uh, member of the u.s house um the uh Longer-term history uh, includes a powerful Democrat, Wayne Aspinall, in the West, who was a guy that, uh, in the House, the US House, uh, who controlled uh, uh, public works projects, federal public works projects in the West, you didn't get anywhere if you didn't consult with Aspinall. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, if you wanted to get something done, and very often he'd say, "You're not getting it done." Um, so whether uh, uh, he's a Democrat, was a Democrat, but uh, uh, how you classify him on a liberal conservative uh, spectrum is another matter. Um, there are also uh, consistent pockets in um, in Colorado, as I'm sure you know that uh, are dependably one way or another. Um, Colorado Springs, you're gonna find a lot of conservative people. Uh, Boulder, not so, quite the opposite. Uh, Denver, a mixture. Uh, it, again, is is a state with, uh, with a, a lot of complexity. Uh, there, there are places like, well, take the examples of Colorado Springs and Older, um, they don't change much. Uh, they um, could be if they were states, they'd be classified as stayers, I guess. But uh, they're not states; they're within a larger uh, context, the state of Colorado, and uh, uh, the 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 complexion of the state is uh, is, is is sort of on a uh, on a, a sharp edge, if. if some area within the state changes, and you don't even expect it to. Then the state can change to and it can it can swing. Uh, it's a kind of a knife edge, and that's I suppose what's what's interesting about the uh, the states like uh, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and so on. Arizona uh, seems to be leaning uh, blue, but it, it doesn't. It hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, New Mexico is getting pretty close to firmly blue. Uh, Montana is getting pretty close to firmly red. Uh, they're moving around. Um, uh, I forget what the other one was. That's that's. I think it's one more of it. Uh, Nevada, I think it's the other one. But Nevada. Yeah. Well, it's 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 uh, moving moving pretty firmly blue. It seems to me, mm-hmm. at least in the last few years. So but but it, it it takes a sort of small shifts within these states to tip the balance one way or the other and to to having shifted to stay that way. Uh, and they don't stay that way uh, or at least haven't so far most of them. So that's why I call them shifters.
0: So looking at the book as a whole, what are the broad takeaways about the politics of the West as you present them in the text? If there's sort of one one thing that you hope a reader comes away from this book understanding, what might that be? Uh,
1: well, I guess it's uh, the complexity of the region. I, I, I started in the, in the introduction to it uh, by saying that uh, there have been changes in the last 70 years or so in American politics well, three of them that uh, regional changes that have been noticed. Two of them, especially the virtual disappearance of so-called liberal Republicans in New England in the Northeast. Uh, that's one everybody knows about. That the uh, shift in of the South from solidly Democratic to solidly Republican uh, in the 60s and 70s. Everybody knows about that. But uh, not many people know that what's been taking place in the West and within the West, as I said here quite a few times, I guess, uh, the, the, the shifts have been various, varied varied within the West. Uh, some from red to blue, some from blue to red, some up, uh, cutting a knife edge or sitting on a knife edge. Um, and, and the number of other small ones usually staying pretty much the same. So um, the, the takeaway is that, yeah, don't, it's what I came to at the very beginning, I guess, and one of the things that motivated me to write the book was that people have overgeneralized about the West. It's it's not a conservative region, uh, even if you leave out California. Um, it is a complex region, and uh, you don't understand it unless you take a close look.
0: And one last question, I feel like I would be remiss if I, if I didn't ask this, since it is just before the South Carolina Democratic right. primary and just before Super Tuesday here in 2020 as we record this interview, how do you see the red-blue divide in the West changing in the coming years, looking at both 2020 and beyond?
1: I was afraid you'd ask that. Um, <laughs> you don't have to uh, prognosticate. Yeah. I'm not asking for any <laughs> predictions or
0: anything. It's okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll take one example, uh, Texas, um, the presidential candidates in Texas and the uh, you know, people running for other major offices have been, uh, Republicans have been successful in recent years for most of those, in most of those contests, but uh, they haven't been overwhelmingly successful. Uh, There have been victories uh, by percentages in the mid-50s, maybe the high 50s, but not landslides at all. And perennially, for, gosh, at at least 15 years or so, uh, if you read uh, a a very good magazine, Texas Monthly, for example, which has political articles from time to time on Texas politics, um, what you will see is... um, Uh, a a sort of eagerness, a sort of longing on the part of pro-democratic writers uh, trying to find reasons for claiming that Texas is just about to go democratic again. Uh, But it hasn't happened. And uh, it's a perennial. It just seems to pop up every every election. I haven't seen it this year because I haven't looked Texas closely this year yet. Uh, but uh, it looks like uh, uh, It looks like Texas is on the verge of electing a Democratic governor or senator or, for, or Casting its electoral votes for a Democratic presidential candidate, but it ain't happened yet. And uh, uh, As I say every every election uh, The hopes are up, but uh, it never happens um, Elsewhere uh, uh, well, California, again, I, I don't want to get into prognostication, uh, at, least I'm, at least I, I might privately uh, on my <laughs> dinner table, but uh, not for public consumption. Uh, uh, California, of uh, course, uh, voted for for Hillary Clinton, the Democratic candidate, in 2016 by a margin of 4 million votes, and they probably come pretty close to that, or maybe even more, whoever is running this time. So you can kind of count on those those things, but the the switchers i i the these the shifters I would pay some attention to and I would really be in difficult and dangerous water if I prognosticated on even Colorado new mexico arizona but all i'm all I'm claiming to say is okay uh, uh dear reader, here are the trends over time, and uh here is the evidence based on the election returns for all these decades. And uh, uh, I guess you got to read the local newspapers and pay attention to what uh, local people are saying. And if, if you're going to try to make a judgment about what's going to happen, prediction is generally dangerous. And I think in these cases, especially so.
0: And especially if um, you know if the, the the switchers are so much kind of balancing on a knife end as a uh, knife edge as you described that they are, then really it could be any one small thing could shift them from one direction or the other. So prediction, yes, it's a very well, dangerous true. business.
1: That's true. And as we know from the twenty sixteen election, it didn't take uh, too many thousand votes to uh, switch the presidential in uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. uh, Wisconsin from the expected winner Clinton to mm-hmm. the not expected winner Trump
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, this sort of thing could take place in uh in the presidential election in 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 these uh in these states as well at this time 2020
0: So I always like to end my interviews by getting a preview of what our guests might be working on next. So this book has been out for a couple years now. Is there something that you've been working on in the interim? Do you have another project that's been taking up some of your time recently?
1: It's been out about uh, well October of 2018. So um, yeah, uh, I have several things uh, in mind. Uh, I am retired. I haven't I've been teaching for a number of years now, Um, but uh, something to do with the West. Yeah, but I'm I'm just not ready to specify. Um, Wait a while and maybe you'll see a notice of something. You don't don't have to buy it, but uh, uh, we'll see. if I can get something out. Okay. Yeah, that's the best thing.
0: Walter Nugent is Professor Emeritus of History at the University of Notre Dame. He has written many books and many articles about the American West and is a former president of the Western History Association. His new book is Color-Coded, Party Politics in the American West, 1950-2016, which came out in October of 2018 from the University of Oklahoma Press. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Walter.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Steve. Appreciate it.